Welcome in to Locked On Nets. I am your host, Josh Bass, and on today's show, Marcus and I will discuss the devastating loss to the Philadelphia 76ers, the Rondé Hollis Jefferson resurgence, aka the Rondé Surgeons, and preview tonight's game against the Boston Celtics and the implications coming up on Locked On Nets. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. This is Locked on Nets. Josh Bass here with Marcus Barahal. Um, Marcus, and I've hit a bit of a point where I'm, I'm getting concerned about the Nets. They lost to the Philadelphia 76ers 123-110 to on Thursday. We are just hours from tip-off, probably of the biggest game of the season. The Nets host the Boston Celtics. Uh, luckily for the Nets, the Celtics just played the Pacers last night uh, and won very in a very close game. Um, but Kyrie Irving and Al Horford are out, and at this time, Jason Tatum is questionable. Marcus, just give me a general pulse check right now because are you as nervous as I am? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just like looking at the standings, there's like five teams all within I think two and a half games of each other at this point, mm-hmm. and the Nets are kind of like right in the middle. Uh, they're currently in seventh, but just a game ahead of the Magic uh, of like missing the playoffs, and the Heat are half game back in eighth. So obviously it's super close, and the Nets do still have the toughest schedule. Uh, the one like silver lining, I guess, is they have the tiebreaker against the Pistons. They have tiebreaker over the Magic, and I think uh, they play the Heat, so I think they probably can still get that. I'm not sure about the Hornets, but just the fact that I guess those teams have to like be a game ahead of the Nets as opposed to like a tiebreaker scenario. That's at least somewhat comforting. But at the same time, uh, they're 500 now, so it's really like anything can happen. Like this is the, probably the most important stretch of Nets basketball in a couple years, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And also, fun fact on the tiebreaker, which I didn't know, um, if let's say the Nets and Heat finished tied at the end of the year, and the Nets had beaten the Heat in that last game, so even though the Nets have a better conference record, if the Heat were to win their division, division winner automatically takes precedent. And because the Southeast Division is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, um, we have the Heat, Magic, Hornets, Wizards, and Hawks. The uh, the winner of the Southeast Division would take Preston over the Nets if they were to be tied in the uh, regular season series. That's atrocious. I didn't. Even, I completely forgot that. Like, well, none no of one those cares about is... divisions. And then I was looking at the tiebreakers, and the third tiebreaker was division. I'm like. Wait, I don't think there's anyone good in the Southeast. Yeah, because I, I guess it's just, like, the past couple of years, it's been that the Wizards are usually pretty good, or, like, before that, the Heat were yeah. good. But I f- forgot that, like, none of the those Hawks teams... The Hawks were good, are, even. Yeah, yeah, right. But none of those teams are good right now, and it's, like, surprising that, like, even one of those teams, I guess, is going to make it in. But uh, And especially because, like, the Atlantic Division is really good. Like, Philly, yeah. Boston, and Toronto all could make the finals, and the Nets obviously have been a good team most of the year now. Uh, so that's probably easily the best division in the East, and then like obviously the West is better, but still, uh, definitely don't think divisions should be a thing. Is my take, but abolish divisions, um, unite but, everyone. You know, yeah, enough, enough division in this. Country. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I like the way you're thinking. But Marcus, um, kind of how we got to this point was a, a bad loss against the Sixers. They came out scorching hot, really after 
Um, the only Nets redeeming highlight of the night was when D'Angelo Russell basically stole the ball after the uh, after the tip, took it in from the layup, and it was all downhill from there. Joel Embiid was draining threes and finished with 39 points in 28 minutes. J.J. Redick was hitting his ridiculous off-balance threes. Guys like Boban and Mike Scott were just dominating the Nets. And, you know, besides some, some nice energy from the bench, including Rondé and uh, Karis LeVert, it wasn't many uh, much to cheer about for the Nets, unfortunately. No, yeah. I mean, Joe Harris played well, but, uh, yeah, D'Angelo Russell had his worst game in a long time. Yeah, he sucked. Seven turnovers and uh, 13 points on just 19 shots, so that's not great. And then Carroll and Rodion's Kuruks, neither of them really made any impact. Uh, Jared Allen only played nine minutes, which is just, like, such a steep drop from where he was at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. when it looked like, at least for the first couple weeks, like, this, he could have, like, made a leap or, like, been, like, a most improved candidate, and then at this point for him to, like, barely be playing against a team that has one of the best centers and who is a possible, like, first-round matchup is definitely scary. Uh, Embiid was absurd, like you said. Uh, he just kind of dominated from the beginning. I think he had 14 of their first 19 points for mm-hmm. Philly. And uh, they, like you said, they were red hot. They hit eight of their first 10 threes in the first quarter. Uh, so it was like they couldn't miss, and the Nets kind of struggled to keep up kind of from the get-go. Yeah, it was just that these Nets didn't have it. I mean, Kuritz was doing the thing where he was having the backdoor cut, getting wide open, just blowing the layup. Damari Carroll couldn't hit shots. D'Lo was really struggling on his mid-ranger. And if there's any part of his game that's super consistent, it's that mid-range shot. He was struggling with that all night. The 6 of 19 was actually a little bit better than um, than advertised because I think he hit two or three shots late just to raise that average up. He really struggled. Some careless turnovers, obviously. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the Jarrett Allen thing because... His plight is so has been so interesting for me because, yeah, as you mentioned, he was um, getting a lot of buzz earlier in the season, but he's just tailed off so much. I don't know if it's a strength thing, a stamina thing, but right now he's just kind of average replacement level athletic center. Yeah, and I was reading uh, Brian Lewis had like a good article about this. Uh, I think it was earlier today, it might have been yesterday, but it had like quotes from Kenny and from Jared Allen talking about how uh, it's like kind of an adjustment still for Allen to get through an 82-game season, which is, like, not what you want to hear at game, like, 76 <laughs> yeah, or whatever, yeah. but... Uh, at least just fake confidence. Right, and then, like, they... Lewis included, like, the numbers of the opposing big men, like, on the seven-game road trip, and it was against Stephen Adams, Rudy Gobert, Montrez Harrell, Nemanja Bielitsa, JaVale McGee, Yusuf Nurkic, and Joel Embiid, and Embiid's really the only, like, monster, like, offensive threat in that group, but that group of seven averaged... 24 and a half points and 13 and a half rebounds and shot nearly 60% from the field. And so like if you're including Bielitsa and JaVale McGee and Gobert in that group and that average comes to 24 and 13, that's pretty pathetic and it's I mean it's not squarely at the at the feet of Jared Allen, but he's the he's the rim protector. That's like his one job and if you can count on him to do anything, it's roll to the rim and dunk and also protect the rim and he's not really doing uh, that latter thing very well lately. Yeah, and I feel like post-ups in this league have become something that's so, uh, it's going on extinct, but against Jared Allen, he just doesn't have the base and the strength right now where it's actually a much better play to do that versus maybe trying to do a pick and roll where you can use Jared Allen's weak side rim protection. It's actually the best play to do against the Nets is just to do a, a straight post-up. But when you have these big beasts of centers like an Embiid or a Yusuf Nurkic, I don't know, it's just... It's disappointing to watch, and I feel like he has been getting exposed. And, you know, he's not a perfect player, but it's also up to Kenny to be able to mask some of his warts and think through how we can uh, help Jared Allen. Maybe that's throwing more doubles at opposing bigs, but just doing something because 
Right now, it's, it hasn't been working. And Philly's a very talented team. And if the Nets were to go up against them in the playoffs, they would get um, slaughtered just by the sheer talent and offensive firepower that Philly has. But, you know, you, you can't be this kind of game where um, the Nets really need a win. They just come out and get smacked in the mouth in the first quarter. Yeah, and uh, I think that was the like saddest part of it was that it happened like right away. Like the Nets were down, mm-hmm. I think, fifteen after the first quarter, and after that they actually played pretty well. Like yeah. they didn't get down by more than twenty, and they got it back down to like six at certain points. But just digging that hole really early is tough, and especially against a team like Philly. Absolutely, we will take a quick break, and coming up, we'll talk about what to watch for uh, in the Boston game tonight, and what adjustments can be made in terms of the rotation. All that and more on Locked On Nets. Locked on Nets, segment two. Uh, Before we get back into the Nets, I want to tell you guys about Wise Camera. Wise is the indoor camera that does it all. It's packed with premium features that allow you to see everything from anywhere for only $20. I'm talking 1080p full HD cameras with images so clear that you won't miss a thing. 1080p? Yeah, that's a lot. That's more than 1,000p. It's 80 more p. Yeah. Uh, It's got night vision, two-way audio, and they just want to bring you guys amazing smart home products that are accessible to everyone. You can check on your home anytime with Wise's app's live stream. You can connect with life as it unfolds in sharp focus. The live stream has eight times the digital zoom. Eight times, Josh. It's a lot of zoom. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the amount of time of digital you zoom could has. You could see anything you want. Uh, you probably might see too much, but that's, that's your choice, I guess. Uh, Four to six is the sweet spot. I mean, yeah, I would zoom. say so. Uh, whether you want to... Watch your kids destroy your house. Maybe you want to... Very s- applicable for us, too. For us, yeah. We, we a childless uh, podcast co-host here. Whether you want to watch some birds, you know, whatever, whatever you want to watch, they can really cover it all. And if you want more, uh, for just $10 more, you can get the, wi- the Wise Cam Pan, which gives you 360-degree coverage in under three seconds. Uh, life moves fast, and your camera should, too. Uh, it works with Alexa. It's got free rolling 14-day cloud storage, and uh, this can work with your mobile phone from anywhere. So go to wise.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price. That's wise, W-Y-Z-E dot com slash locked. Josh, the Brooklyn Nets, they're pretty wise, right? I they feel are. Like we, I feel like we did the same transition last we, time we did this ad read. We have a wise front office. I'm very excited. You promised me you'd get me a wise for Purim. I decided to have that in the mail. Yep, I, I dressed up, I got in costume, and I went down to the to the store and got you got you a wise for Purim. It's great. It's great. I'm very I'm very uh, happy that you're getting in touch with your one fourth Jewish side. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll reveal the other three fourths in a future podcast. But for now, uh, let's talk about the Nets. Uh, they've got a game against the Celtics in about two hours from when we are currently recording this. Mm-hmm. So you can see how wrong we are. With yeah, what we'll we're see. About we'll to say. see. Uh, we talked about in the last segment how Al Horford and Kyrie Irving are out. Jason Tatum is questionable. So I guess uh, for Brooklyn, do you see this as a game that they now should win, or is it a must-win, or like what should be the mindset going into this? Uh, the mindset is, well, it's, it's win every game. And this one especially has to be a win. Um, you know, looking at Boston without Kyrie, without Horford, potentially not having Jason Tatum— this is a team the Nets need to beat right now. Um, they're very, you know, their guards are going to be very hit or miss um, with Rozier and with Marcus Smart. And Jalen Brown's been inconsistent. We know that Hayward obviously has not had the year that the Celtics want to have. But at the same time, 
Brad Stevens, this is when he shines, being able to coach up a team and really scheme uh, when they don't have that talent there. And the Celtics are still going to be fighting tooth and nail because they are tied right now with Indiana um, for that uh, playoff positioning. They're going to face them in the in the first round, but it's going to really be decided by who has home court. So right now they're tied. The Celtics do have the tiebreaker, but they're going to go hard. And, you know, I can easily see uh, some of these random guys the Celtics have at the end of their bench, whether it be... Uh, a Brad Wanamaker, a Daniel Tice, a Time Lord, just killing the Nets. And the Nets need to make sure that just because the Celtics don't have their marquee players there, that they can't take them lightly. They still have to go full throttle, balls to the wall, and make sure that D'Angelo Russell has a bounce back game. Levert's been playing well recently. Uh, and I'm interested to see what they do with Rondé, if he gets some time in the regular rotation, um, if it's not a blowout. Yeah, I, I think he should get a shot. I think he played really well in the Kings game, uh, obviously, and he played well again in the in the Sixers game. And I think he just kind of brings a dimension that they don't really have, which is, like, the ability to go small. And I think part of it is that he's, like, kind of, maybe the benching is what did this, but he's, like, accepted that he's not going to be the main guy on offense. And I think mm-hmm. having Dinwiddie or Russell out there with him to kind of control things and then having him set screens and roll to the basket and kind of conserve his energy on offense for the defensive end where he's really scrappy and he's good at boxing out and he can kind of make things hard for big guys mm-hmm. inside. I think he's, he's pretty annoying. useful. Yeah, and I think that if it's like what happened last night where clearly Jared Allen's like not going to stop Embiid, you can't really go up against a size with size that's not going to work. Like It's like playing the Warriors and trying to beat them in a three-point contest. You kind of have to switch up the yeah. style and make them play your game. And Rondé's really fast. He's faster than probably every center in the league at this point. Mm-hmm. And so if he can use that as he did in, in the Sixer game, I think it could be a useful weapon. Yeah, I, I would be cautious going to it. I think it's definitely worth a shot in the first half. But, you know, Rondé, we talk about him not being the guy on offense, but he did take 14 shots and seven free throws. He had a ton of usage in that um in that game against Philly, and it's just hard for him to be on the court and not have a lot of usage because he loves being around the ball. He loves shooting, loves dribbling. He just wants to be in the center of action for right or wrong. So I would be hesitant. I think if you throw him out there uh, late in the first quarter, early second, see what he does. But if he goes two minutes, misses a couple shots, and then has a couple turnovers, yank him right away because the Nets can't afford to be cavalier with the with the Celtics team. You know, this isn't the Cavaliers. It's Boston. They're very well coached and they still have talent regardless of if their two all-stars aren't on the court. Yeah, and like the Nets can't do what they did against the Kings, which is like get down by a lot and then mm-hmm. come back because I think Boston is too prepared and too well coached. And I think and what, it means too much for them at this point. Definitely. Yeah, like the Kings are not going to make the playoffs. They're kind of just playing for pride, but I think that with Rondé, uh, it's not so much that he's like not touching the ball on offense. I think I more meant like he's not initiating the offense. He's not the guy who's handling it right, at the top, right. which he, I guess, has been in certain lineups in the past and like certain years past. Uh, but I think that he can be effective. And I think, like you said, especially, which is like just put him out there and see if it works. And I think that's on Kenny to kind of recognize who has it and what game. Like there was a game, I can't remember against who, a couple uh, days ago maybe, where Joe Harris like clearly didn't have it. And Kenny just kept riding him. And Joe Harris is like kind of that was the Portland that. game, right? Yeah. yeah. And like I understand with Joe because he's like been extremely consistent, so you kind of mm-hmm. expect him to bounce back. But I think Kenny has to do a better job of like recognizing who's on and who's not in a given game and kind of playing mm-hmm. it by ear. Each game is too important, you know. That game, Joe Harris didn't have it. Lavert did. I would have loved to see Lavert get a shot, especially when you're going in two overtimes and guys are getting winded. You know, uh, Joe Harris had a great game against Philly, so I think that. 
Um, obviously, sticking with what you expect going into the game is important, but also being willing to adjust on the fly because it's not like the Nets have a lot of established stars. They have a lot of guys that can contribute two out of three nights, three out of four nights, but they're not consistent enough where they're not guaranteed to have an off night. I mean, we saw how Kuritz did against Philly. He was terrible. 0-3 from the field, 0-4 on free throws, and he's a great free throw shooter. So it's if he has that kind of game in the first half against Boston, then you know what? He doesn't have the track record to say, hey, we have to stick with Rodi. Let's go with Damari Carroll. Let's go with Rondé. Karras, see what happens. Just because each game is so important. Um, and, you know, looking at these next two games, the Nets play an undermanned Celtics team tonight. They play Milwaukee. Uh, obviously, Brogdon's out. Giannis had a significant limp when he was leaving the game um, with, with an injured ankle. It's pretty likely that he's not going to play Monday just because, for all intents and purposes, Milwaukee has that number one seed locked up. If the Nets need to win one of these two games, ideally both, but they have to get one of them. Yeah, and uh, to Kenny's credit, I think he did kind of uh, adjust his game plan, at least in the Sixer game, more like we talked about with Jared mm-hmm. Allen only playing nine minutes and with Rondé playing close to 30. So I think he's he's at least trying it out now, and I just want to see it more going forward, I guess. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. And, and to give Rondé credit, he does provide a different five dynamic because, you know, Ed Davis and Jared Allen, they're slightly different players, but um, pretty similar. I think Ed Davis right now is just a more consistent um, version of Jared Allen with a lower ceiling, unfortunately. So uh, I do like that Rondé gives that spunk. We'll see what happens. It's very important that Kenny is willing to mix things up tonight. Um, and by the time you're hearing this, you'll probably have already figured out what's happened. So um, you can see how wrong or right we are. Hopefully, right? I don't know. Hopefully, I don't know. I kind of like being wrong though, because yeah. it's just like it's humbling. Shows that we're your local experts, but even still, we know nothing. Uh, and you can get this podcast wherever you. Um, find your podcast, whether that be Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or when you get in your car, please say, hey, Alexa, play Locked on Nets. And uh, we're coming up, we will do some rapid fire around the league, talk about uh, teams the Nets are in direct competition with and what their schedule is looking like today and tomorrow. Last segment here on Locked on Nets. Please subscribe to the podcast on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, or wherever you get your podcasts, you know, we, we're not picky. Just uh, play us where you get us, and we will be very, very grateful. Um, Marcus, in addition to the Nets game, which is, of course, of utmost importance, some of our competition, the hated Orlando Magic, the hated Miami Heat, and the neutral uh, Detroit Pistons <laughs> will uh, be in action tonight. Miami is in New York, we should go say hi to, to Dragic, Waiters, and the guys. They're playing the Knicks, so that should be an easy win. Yeah. Um, the Orlando is at Indiana, so tough game for them, but Indiana did just play uh, a heartbreaker last night, so um, who knows? That's going to be a toss-up. And then Detroit is hosting Portland, uh, but even if everything does not go the Nets' way, but they lose, all the other teams win, they're still going to be in the playoffs when we wake up Friday or Sunday morning because we have the tiebreaker over Orlando now. Don't you feel reassured? Oh, what a, what a weight off my shoulders, just knowing that uh, come Sunday, March 31st, the Nets will still be in the playoff picture. So that's, that's, that's a big relief. That is big, you know? I think I would have so much stress if I woke up Sunday and I knew they were the ninth seed, because then mm-hmm. we'd have to wait until Monday, and who knows what's going to happen against Milwaukee. And uh, speaking of that, I should probably mention this. So 
me and a bunch of my coworkers, I think there's like seven or eight of us, are all going to the Nets-Bucks game on Monday. And I'm actually worried, I thought it was going to be a good idea, but now I'm actually so worried that they're going to, especially if the Nets lose against Boston tonight, they're going to see me so uh, unhinged yeah. in the game Monday that I might have to just move my seat and sit like a few sections away and just toil in my own misery. Yeah, I remember you and I went to a, I think it was Nets-Hornets earlier this season, and Obviously, that's like a big game too, just because the Hornets are like kind of closing the standings. But oh, that it wasn't that big of a deal, and you were still like very invested. So I can't even imagine mm-hmm. this is if the Nets do lose. I mean, kind of even if they win, that Bucks game will be huge. So yeah, uh, hopefully your coworkers uh, understand. I think they're always going to be like laughing at me, and uh, probably that. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. If the Nets do win tonight, I will be a lot more relaxed. Though um, they need to win this game. You know, it's really really paramount to their hopes the rest of the season and think that um coming up you know their schedule's not easy we were hoping that some of the teams were going to be resting guys and if they can't beat an undermanned boston team it doesn't bode well for the next uh five games yeah and it's i guess the the nets are really catching a break with Kyrie and horford being Mm -hmm. out especially because the celtics like you said do need to win and so do the pacers so I expect the pacers to at least bring it against orlando but Mm -hmm. uh for boston to like not have their full lineup in this one is surprising, but the Nets just need to like take advantage, I guess. Yeah. Who is the uh, the net that you're most excited to watch on sun on Saturday? Sorry, uh, and think think they're going to be the key to the game. Um, probably D'Angelo Russell, just because he had a bad game last time out, and that hasn't really happened much the last couple months. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Kyrie out, with Horford out, with Tatum maybe out, I think D'Lo should be the best player in the game. So. I think it's up to him to kind of say that this is a playoff team and he's in charge and to kind of bring the guys back and rally them back after this 2-5 and five road trip. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. For me, it's going to be Levert. He's played pretty well the last two games. Um, and I think that especially, you know, Rogier and Smart are very inconsistent guards. So it does bode well for the Nets that they're not the biggest offensive threats. But if Rozier does get going, Levert's probably the guy you want to match up with him because he does have the quickness to combat them. I think D'Lo, as you mentioned, will definitely have a bounce-back game. Uh, and I think Dinwiddie could also be poised for a big night um, because the, the Celtics don't have the best rim protection back there. You know, Baines is okay, but he's a little bit slow. Um, Robert Williams is extremely athletic, but he's very inconsistent, kind of like a Mitchell Robinson type, and he's prone to, to fouling a lot. So the Nets should just attack the rim relentlessly uh, and see what happens and try to clean up some misses. I think Ed Davis could have a nice day on the boards as well, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and uh, we're hoping for a win, right? Yeah, of course. Every time out. Every time out. Every time out. No quit in this Nets team. And no quit in your favorite daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Uh, We will speak to you again soon. Um, What do you think? Do you want to do a a rapid reaction tomorrow? Yeah, I I feel like if we win, then yes, because we'll we'll celebrate. (laughs) Depends on our mood. If we lose, I'm I'm going on strike. I'm not doing another podcast (laughs) until the Nets win. David Locke, you heard it here first. Please. Follow my man Marcus at Marcus Barahall on Twitter. I'm at JMBass underscore. I really need to work on my Twitter handle. It sucks. No, I like the underscore. Yeah, it's okay. You don't see it every day. I know, I know. Is, I, is at Josh Bass taken? Yes. Is, yeah. oh, okay. The thing is, I, I changed my Twitter handle so many times throughout the years where it's like, now I want a more professional and, and right. cleaner one. I got lucky because I have like a very uncommon last mm-hmm. name. So it's like... Yeah, what's the no, etymology? It's made up at Ellis Island, I think. Yeah, but Ellis but I, Island. I did do a search once online, and I'm the only Marcus Barahall in the country. So not a lot really? of competition for the Twitter handle. Yeah, 
That's good. Yeah. Good Worked for out. you. Yeah. You're an anomaly. Um, but the Nets, unfortunately, do have some competition yes. for this last playoff seed. Subscribe to the podcast on the new podcast app, Himalaya, and wherever you get your podcasts. We will be in your ears again soon. Buy the wise camera, and we'll speak to you. Bye.